You are this country's first openly gay prime minister. How big a deal is this for you personally? Brexit process. U.S. investment bank Lehman Brothers collapsed. I said this was a once-in-a-generation a vote. financial crisis. But I believe we have voted today for the next generation. Don't be rude. Ireland has spoken with a clear, strong voice. I think I should stop now and start again, because I don't think you this is a good news. start of the debate. Welcome to the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast, in which we discuss current political events. My name is Annelika Moy, and with me today is Moin Kawaja, with whom I'll be discussing Islamic State and their propaganda and how it is impacted by COVID-19. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe or find us on social media via at Dublin LPR or on our website, dublinlpr.ie. Welcome, Moin. Thank you for being here with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been a long time since I was due to be on this podcast and I was waiting for a long time, but finally we do get the chance. So thanks for having me. Yes, you're very welcome because it's actually very interesting. These podcast series was partially your idea, I believe. <laughs> That's true. That makes me even more excited because <laughs> now I see the idea coming to fruition and, and I should give credit to you because you have made that idea come true. So credit goes to you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your research topic, I believe, you're a PhD candidate and research Islamic State. That's correct. Well, you see, um, I think I was born to do this, if I'm allowed to say that, because <laughs> mm -hmm. I was born and brought up in Kuwait and I saw the conflict with my own eyes. And I think the birth of IS happened sometime in the 90s in Iraq when uh, they were subject to UN sanctions. Uh, and the country was going through a terrible time. There were hundreds and thousands of deaths of women and children as a result of the sanctions. Uh, so it's not the U.S. invasion, but in fact, it goes it goes way beyond that. You know, it goes past that. Um, and as a trade, I have a, a license of a journalist. I mean, I have a degree, a master's degree in journalism. And I saw, oh, yes, kind of. Uh, having its second rebirth, if I can say that, you know, in 2014, I saw them being born and most of the world powers were kind of ignoring them. They didn't take them seriously in the first place. And that's how this monster uh, was, was kind of spawned. You know, it was like a very small thing. It could have been stopped, but they let it grow. And I'm not blaming one power or two. It's like everyone involved in this in this conflict. Um, so yeah, my research is about IS. They went on to create a state. Um, in fact, it's like one of the 21st century's latest states, if you, if you accept them as a state. You know, of course, there is a debate about them being a state or not. But what I'm looking at is uh, their projection of stateness, the understanding of our stateness is that um, your country, the Netherlands, Ireland here, or any other country for that matter in the Middle East, we understand that a state has certain duties, so it provides services, provides education, healthcare, infrastructure, you know, and you pay taxes mm -hmm. to the state. It has an army, provides security to its populace. Um, it has its own foreign policy. It has a territory, those kind of things. So IS claimed to be a state because remember, it's IS, Islamic State. People don't want to accept that they are Islamic or not. That's not the point of my research. It's the state aspect that they claim to be a state and they show that they are a state. So what was the projection like? 
That's an interesting one because, of course, when the conflict started, they began fighting for their own territory and their territory then changed either by gaining cities or losing them to the opposing forces. Mm -hmm. Now, I haven't heard from IS having any territory over the past few months. Yep. So what is their current status like? At the moment, they have been reduced to nothing. So whatever they had uh, at their peak, which was 2015, mid-2015 was their peak, um, they went on to capture territory, which was the size of Britain, you know, United Kingdom. Uh, and population was around 11 million, you know, to put it roughly. Um, they started losing it because of the uh, operation against them by US-led coalition and Russia-led coalition. And right now they are just reduced to pockets here and there in the Syrian and Iraqi desert, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and they're mounting these uh, guerrilla attacks, uh, hit and run attacks, you know, uh, but they don't hold any substantial territory whatsoever. It's just pockets here and there. And to get a bit more into the topic for today, so how has IS been impacted by COVID-19? A lot of conflicts are actually stopped or are not being fought out at the moment because of COVID, because the armies are sick and can no longer fight. Mm-hmm. Is there a similar situation for IS? Um, well, you have to look at the uh, their presence, like their footprint in the past couple of months. So because they were waging hit and run attacks and it was not that intense mm-hmm. um, compared to what they have done in the last two months. So they waged a few attacks in Syria, uh, not really um, causing a lot of casualties, but at least it was hit and run. But then recently, like two weeks ago, they... Uh, mounted five attacks on one day in five different locations and that was quite deadly. I think the death toll was around 40 Iraqi security personnel killed, you know, and um, dozens others wounded. Uh, So that was a very serious attack. Um, And then what they're doing in Iraq is that they are trying to destroy the infrastructure. So they are setting alight wheat fields, and other um, agricultural produce, you know, just to annoy the citizens and just to create this rift between the government and the citizens. But day before yesterday, or maybe like three days ago, they mounted this daring attack in Afghanistan, uh, where we thought that they were wiped out. The, a heinous attack was carried out at a Kabul hospital, uh, a maternity ward to be precise, and they kill women and children, they kill newborn babies. So that was like the, the lowest of the lowest. Of course, they didn't claim the responsibility, but it's obvious that it's them. There is no one else who is going to carry out such heinous attack. It was carried out at a Shia hospital. So of course they can say that, listen, these are our enemies anyway, and we don't consider them as uh, human beings, let alone Muslims, you know? Um, so yeah, it was it was heinous. So it seems like they're trying to bounce back. They're trying to exploit this confusion that people have and this fear um, and the certain disconnect between governments and the populations, you know. Um, and of course, the economies are weak. So the governments are, are really struggling with this situation. And so is the populace and they just want to exploit it. For them, this is like perfect recipe for chaos. And it is indeed chaos and chaotic. And I can see how they would exploit that but you'd expect them to fall ill as well. Um, you see, for 
an organization, like if it's a normal human being, of course, he would be a bit cautious and he would take precautions and he wouldn't put himself at risk. But this is a, uh, this is a terrorist organization which believes in suicide bombing as their, as their strength. You know, for them, it's like cruise missiles and to some extent, they know that it's very lethal and it's very effective weapon. So they would do everything, including putting their own lives at risk, to attack the enemy and to attack the enemy at a time when it's really dangerous. Plus uh, to attack it in a certain way when it hits the worst in terms of death toll, in terms of psychological uh, impact, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. So in fact, COVID-19, though it's been beneficial for a lot of conflict zones because the conflict has stopped, it's actually aided IS in that sense. They are trying to exploit the situation, the confusion, the fear. And of course, um, there is another element in Ramadan. You have to understand uh, it's uh, at the moment, it's I think today is like the 21st or 22nd of Ramadan is the Muslim holy month. Um, and during this month, usually jihadis are more active than before. And um, that's why there is conflict taking place. Like there, there have been some clashes, some terrorist attacks in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Syria, in Libya, you know. So yeah, they, they tend to uh, come up with a new vigor because um, they cite certain texts from Quran and from Hadith which says that Ramadan is the month of jihad, you know. And you have to remember that the first holy war in Islam took place in Ramadan the Battle of Badr, where there was just like 313 uh, Muslims and on the other side were like seven, 800 uh, opponents and they won this battle, you know. Um, so it has some religious significance and that's what they are keen on, on uh, emphasizing with these attacks. Yeah, so they're combining the religious element with the chaos that COVID-19 spreads. Absolutely. Now, another thing that I read in the newspaper and I found that quite interesting and this is not IS, but it was about Adolf Hitler and the Nazi propaganda. Mm -hmm. And they argued that the flu, so the pandemic in the early 20s and 30s, that that actually aided Nazi propaganda and aided people becoming um, more obsessed with fascism. Mm -hmm. Now, can we see similar events happening in IS propaganda? Are people more susceptible and is IS increasing their propaganda? Well, IS has, let's say IS has always been uniform in terms of their propaganda. It's always been black and white. They always say that they are the only party which is the right party. And everyone else who opposes them for even a small matter is outside of Islam. You know, they, they have nothing to do with them. In fact, they are the enemies of them and they are going to fight them until they submit or they are killed. So this is this is the basics. This is the fundamental of uh, fundamentals of uh, IS propaganda, and IS tries to exploit certain situations. You know, like pandemic for them, they seized on this. So as soon as the world was in grip of uh, COVID nineteen, and when the governments were giving instructions to its citizens not to travel and to practice social distancing and washing hands and this and that, so they came out with some publications in their weekly magazine for that matter. They, so it, it was an interesting narrative. On one side, they said that this is a punishment from God 
to the enemies of God, you know, for their sins and whatever, their op opposition to Islam or Muslims, whatever. Um, and specifically, they were targeting, sorry? Kind of comparable to the apocalyptic events we see in so many. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So this was a punishment from God and um, they targeted the Chinese government for its oppression of uh, Turkestani people in the East. Um, and then of course the West that goes without saying, uh, but at the same time, they issued some directives to Muslims to, to be careful, to be cautious. Um, and they said that this is a test from God for Muslims, you know, uh, like it's interesting, like it's punishment for the ones who are non-believers for the believers. It's a test. So God is like playing a double game. So that was one thing. The other thing was um, that they tried to issue some directives as well. Like they took this seriously. They weren't denying that this is like, they didn't come up with some conspiracy theories that this was developed in a lab or something like that. They said, yes, this is happening. And we as believers need to be careful about this, you know. So it was interesting that their approach was from their own standards, it was uh, balanced and it wasn't leaning on one side or the other. Now, why, how, how do they reach new people? Because I haven't had a, you're, you were talking about this IS magazine. I haven't received my copy. Perhaps it got lost in the menu. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> but you see. But, so how do they reach new recruits? Uh, basically, their propaganda is in multiple languages. So the Arabic magazine, the, and the weekly newsletter, it's called Annaba. Uh, they have continued publishing that uh, newsletter. So it comes out every weekend and the Arabic speakers get to know what's going on from IS, right? But the English ones, um, so there was Dabit, which is named after an apocalyptic town um, in Islamic tradition. And then the successor of that, when they lost Dabit, that town, they changed the name to Rumia, which is Constantinople, right? So these two magazines were discontinued. And there hasn't been any official publication, right? Um, and in other languages, they have discontinued them as well. Like there used to be a French one, Turkish language, and, and uh, other languages, in fact. Now, they do release videos every now and then. So let's say these attacks that took place in Iraq, they did issue like a unofficial video, you know, um, and then their news agency is still active. So it posts these... Uh, bulletins on on the internet about such so-and-so attack took place and so many people got killed so it's active there so yeah and what people like the the fans of is like the supporters you know what they do is that sometimes they translate this material from in, uh, from arabic into english and then they propagate that on the internet so that's how people find out that okay this is what's happening and this is how we can we can join it but then it must be well hidden probably or otherwise security services would have taken it down already. Yes, um, it's like a cat and mouse game. So uh, more than hidden, it's more getting uh, disrupted. So whatever, let's say, for example, Twitter accounts, whatever Twitter accounts post these videos or these uh, news bulletins or images or whatever, you know, any multimedia stuff, they got taken down almost immediately or within three hours, six hours, within a day max, you know? And that kind of helps in terms of uh, stemming the propaganda in, in the butt, you know, nipping it in the butt, mm -hmm. so that helps. Uh, but, I mean, you can't 
um, possibly stop it altogether. Like there is no way you can make it 100%. And are they also advertising? So you spoke about this test for the believers and the punishment for the non-believers. Yeah. Are they also advertising or promising that if you believe and if you believe properly that you will survive? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you see, their basic text or let's say the main text is the Quran, right? Mm-hmm. And they keep quoting these verses which kind of they can't imply because that's like 1400 years old text but it can be used in this context you know the context is always alive um the context is wars the context is siege disease or tests from god you know those kind of things so they imply them they impugn them in this situation and they say listen it can be a different situation but the context is very much the same. The God, like God is always there and he's testing who believes in him and who does not believe in him, you know. So they, they just impose that all the time. And those who, who die, are they considered non-believers? Uh, well, of course, anyone who doesn't believe in Islam and who doesn't, especially who doesn't believe in their form of Islam, which is um, which is Salafi Islam, or some people call it takfiris, you know, because they believe in uh, disassociation of Muslims, they can reject them and say that they are outside of Islam, you know. So anyone who doesn't believe in their brand of Islam, they are infidels anyway, right? No. Now, of the believers who believe in them, and if they die out of this disease, they say that they are going to paradise anyway because one of the hadith, um, it refers to cholera back in the day when Prophet was alive. Mm-hmm. And the Prophet said specifically that if, uh, Prophet Muhammad, I mean, he said that if there is cholera in your town, you're supposed to stay in your town. Do not leave and do not go to the town where which is affected by cholera. So in a sense, he asked for um, uh, isolation. Yeah. Yeah, social distancing and isolation, you know, and he said that you don't need to do any uh, congregation prayers and things like that. If that is going to risk your life, you don't need to do that. Um, now, IS is selective, as we all know. They take some texts and they implement that to the to the letter, and some of them, they twist them. Uh, but yeah, if anyone is dying in their cause, he's a martyr, regardless of the circumstances. Even if he got killed, while killing babies, that's fine. He's going to paradise in their view, you know. So yeah, they they just want an opportunity to brand people as martyrs who died for their uh, causes. Yeah, that makes sense. And you you spoke very quickly, and of course, it's it's difficult to call them Muslims because others might rightly say that Islam would never condone such actions. Mm-hmm. Now you spoke about their brand, as in Salafism, if I'm mm-hmm. correct. Yeah. Now, if I remember correctly, that is a type of Islam that believes you should live your life as Muhammad did. And yes. Un- unless my history professor was very bad, but I believe they didn't have internet or computers back then. How are they combining the idea that you should live as Muhammad lived with internet propaganda? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good question. You see, um, so it wasn't just Muhammad, but it was his companions as well. Um, so people who were his friends, who were his relatives, the close circle, you know, 
the ones who saw him, that's the definition of a companion, the ones who saw him and spent time with him. They, they are the companions and they are the ones who we are supposed to follow, like not we, I mean, Muslims are supposed to follow. Um, so when they say, this is a valid question that, okay, you want to go live life like Muhammad did 1400 years ago, but how do you combine what's happening to, in today's world? For that, they say, listen, it's absolutely fine to use technology if that's going to benefit religion. Um, it's absolutely fine to uh, innovate certain things if that's going to be used for the, their own strength, you know, to their own benefit. Um, of course, you're not supposed to innovate things in your religion. Like you can't change religion, uh, the basics of religion, you know. You can't, you're not supposed to do that. No innovation within the religion, but anything that aids uh, religion is, is fine. You know, so let's say the use of technology, the use of uh, transportation, everything is fine as long as it's done for the sake of God and for the sake of propagating Islam. They are okay with that, you know, and for jihad for their, for their, for, for their matter as well. So they would encourage vulnerable people or interested parties to watch their uh, videos, their propaganda, stay in Absolutely. touch through online means. But we'll continue by reading a book. Absolutely. Absolutely. An interesting group, that IS. They certainly are. <laughs> and interesting, of course, not being in a positive uh, note. But <laughs> thank you so much for having this conversation with me. And we're running out of time. It was very interesting. So if I may sum up, maybe I'm forgetting something. So please add if, you, uh, if I forget something. But COVID-19, on the one hand, it has aided them in creating this chaotic situation in a situation where countries perhaps have less means to fight IS. Um, they might have gotten sick, but they have increased their attacks recently again. And their internet propaganda still continues as usual. That's, that's really the case. Indeed, you're right. So perhaps it's now more than ever that we should act against IS? This is absolutely the case. Like there has to be no reason to be lax um, and to think that they are gone or they're not going to be strong again. You know, this, this is at our own peril. So we should be vigilant and we should try to uh, counter the chaos that's spreading in Afghanistan, in, in Iraq, in Syria, in Libya, all these places where IS had a massive footprint. They're just waiting for a chance and I think it would be very, um, it would be very wise of the world governments, USA, Russia, and other powers, to sit down and to have a talk and to make sure that uh, IS does not come back in any shape or form. Otherwise, there's going to be bloodshed and chaos once again. You know? I think that's a very good advice to end this podcast on. Not be lax. So thank you very much for speaking with me and thank you for listening to the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast on the impact of COVID-19 on IS. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow us on social media via at Dublin LPR. Comments, questions and suggestions are very welcome via contact at dublinilpr.ie. This was Anneli Gamoy and I wish you a very pleasant day. Thank you so much.